G'day, g'day, g'day. How are we all going? Good? That's good to hear. Very good. I am also well. Um, as we know, my name's Dan. Uh, I'm a trainer here at Gladesville. Keep that passage open. Um, that's where we're gonna be, keep the passage from Exodus open. That's where we're going to be looking. This term, so far, we've been looking at Exodus. Um, as we dive in tonight, we're going to see a journey. Right? A journey that um, started in Egypt, where um, God saved his people, and then God takes them through to the promised land. Right? This journey, we're seeing what it's like to be free, but not home yet, right? because we're in the middle here. It's actually quite similar to our journey as well. Tonight, we're going to be looking at three main scenes from our passage. First one being at Marah and Elim, where Israel moaning for water, and God provides this perfect little oasis, promised land, this little paradise. Second scene, Israel need, uh, need food. And third scene, they need water. And the question to think as we look through this, right, keep this in your mind. Will God abandon his people as they're on this journey? Or will he provide everything they need and see things through? Keep that in your mind as we go through tonight. So we, we are going to see Israel in dire need of food and water. And I was wondering, have you guys ever been in a spot where you are just so thirsty, the word parched doesn't do it justice, right? You ever been there? I, was, I have once, right? This is a photo of me. Absolute trenches, right? Big cotton farm, northwest New South Wales, about eight hours away, right? I'm in this open cab tractor, rusty old thing. It's probably built similar to the time Exodus was written. It's a thousand years old, right? It's in the middle of summer, and my water bottle is bone dry. Now, trucks are coming every 20 or so minutes, and the nearest tap that wasn't sort of coming out of some bullwater septic tank was over an hour away. So I had no chance to go fill up my bottle. So I had to make a call, right? I made a call to send my bottle with a truckie who does this big two-hour loop, and he'll be back. So we're talking two hours, right? I send it with him, and he goes. I'm actually quite thirsty now as well, much like I was back then. Now, I wonder, have you been in a similar situation, right? Have you been there? Maybe... Maybe it's a job site, plumbers have cut off the water, you didn't get to fill up your water bottle, right? Maybe it was in COVID, you went for this long walk with a friend and you didn't bring a water bottle. Might be public transport, you don't have any water. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, you grew up with one of those sort of uptown fancy fridges where you put your cup up against the fridge and sparkling water comes out, so you don't have a clue. If that's you, just imagine, right? Imagine being so thirsty, you do absolutely anything for water. Right, that's the type of situation Israel find themselves in. Now we're going to come to our first scene here. And a quick recap, God has just saved his people after, from hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. And then they had their backs against the rope, backs against the sea, right, with the Egyptians chasing down on them. But God didn't abandon them, right? He split the sea and they escaped. We saw that God is powerful over land and sea, over his people and their enemies. And then three days ago in our story, we looked at it last week, they were celebrating and singing of God's victory. But now it is time to get moving. So in our story tonight, they're walking through the desert, and they come to this place called Marah. The water there was bitter, and they, and they couldn't drink. So immediately they start grumbling for water. Right? It, was, it was the first passage we had read out. Keep it open. Verse 24, right? So they've been grumbling and moaning, and Moses turns to God and pleads the Lord for help. And God responds, verse 25, right? Kind of weird, right? He goes... The Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and it became fit to drink. Seems crazy, right? I mean, why wood? Why not sand or rocks or anything else? I just spent the last few years on a construction site, 
man, we did some awesome things with timber, but never once, never once did it provide us with drinking water. So it does make us think, right? As we've been going through Exodus, where have we seen water being hit by wood or water being affected by wood? Can you think of one? Well, I mean, might pop into your head, first plague, wooden staff hits, hits the Nile River to make it undrinkable blood. Or when the staff was held out to part the sea. And now we've got a stick of timber being used to make clean water. So I think the clear thing is it's not the wood that's behind it, it's God, right? He has so much power and he shows it. But then he gives this warning, right? He's kind of saying, you want to be on my side, not against me. Check the warning out, right? Verse 26, it should be on the screen. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you will pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. What's God saying? Guys, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. I have power, great power. He's saying, I pulled you out of slavery. I've got you. You can rely on me. If you listen to me and trust me, you'll be all good. But don't forget what I do to my enemies either. Don't be like the Egyptians. Instead, be my people. See, the thing is, right, this journey that Israel's on was God's plan right from the start. He didn't just walk around and grab a random group of people and go, right, you're the ones. Right now, he... He made promises, right? God made a covenant with Abraham saying that his offspring will be God's people and he will bring them to their own land. So it's God's journey, it's God's plan and it makes you ask the question, would he do all those things that we've mentioned just to let them die on the journey, right? Of course not. But Israel didn't say this, right? So as our passage moves on, you would have heard it as we had it read out, he gives them a bit of an embarrassing slap in the face, right? So they, they keep walking a bit, and they're moaning, and then not far, they arrive in this little paradise. I wonder, anyone been in one of these spots? Because I was kneeling in one of these spots tonight, and you guys might have been as well. You're complaining, and you're moaning, and then you, you poke your head around the corner, and the very thing that you're complaining and moaning about is right fixed in there. So tonight, anyone get a spot in the car park? If most people got a spot, it's all good. But I imagine there was a couple of people have done two turns of the, of the sort of circle and they're starting to punch a steering wheel. Someone sort of pulls out and you're like, oh, sweet. But they're actually just adjusting and parking and you're, you're fed up, you're fed up. And then just when you're about to give up, you sort of just turn around and there's a spot right there, easy to park, legal, everything. Like it's, it's the perfect spot. See, Israel were moaning about their lack of water. And then verse 27 then they came to Elim, where there are 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near the water. It was a paradise, right? And I do know that some of your ears will be pricking up as we read that out, right? Naturally, thinking there are 12 springs, well, the number 12 throughout the Bible is used as a number for, for all of God's people, right? There were 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus picked 12 disciples. Now we see 12 springs, one for each tribe. This, I don't think this place is an accident. I don't think they just stumbled upon it. But then we think as well, 70 palm trees. Again, your ears might be pricking up. Number seven, God's perfect and complete number. Times 10, right? Saying, look at this abundance. Are you seeing the picture it's painting? Now, 
Also, worth noting, for those who aren't tree experts, like not myself because I've become a tree expert, right? a palm tree provides dates. And I've never had a date, but I have had favorites, like a bowl of favorites. You know when someone comes over and you give them favorites? That's kind of like what dates are, except in their culture. So imagine, imagine trees that give you boxes of favorites, right? Sort of uptown street, right? So there was water for every single person, 70 palm trees giving shade and this sweet, beautiful food for all of Israel. Kind of sets us up for what's coming ahead, right? Like we've seen that God has provided and he does provide. So they ought to trust him and do what he says, right? I mean, it's worth noting, right? Last week, chapter 15, we heard the song they sang, right? Here's a line from their song. They're singing to God, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Well, let's see how that turns out, right? Next two scenes, right? So the second scene we've got, Israel needs food. And then the third scene, they need water. Both things God has just provided, right? Let's go to the first. So they, so they move on, right? They moved out of Elim, but it didn't take them long to start grumbling and complaining, right? Again, look with me, right? Verse 3 of the next chapter, 16. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Anyone else thought what I thought when I first read it? It's kind of like... What? It's like Israel have this sort of Stockholm syndrome, right? They've they've got this terrible memory, right? They were slaves in Egypt, working like dogs, right? Their sons, there was a government rule that their sons had to be murdered, right? How, you kind of think, how have you forgotten that, right? God brought you out of that, and now you're saying he should have let you die in Egypt? You're saying he should have killed you in Egypt? And this was the same lot that were singing praises to him a few days ago. But still, God provided, right? He didn't abandon them. He gave them heaps, actually. He made bread, it's called manna, that filled the ground like morning dew, it says. And then, if that's not enough, he brought quail, which is just like a bird, so they could have meat at night. Right? And then he gives them this simple test, right? You'll see it from verse 4 and 19, right? The first test was, don't be greedy and store up for the next day. Trust that I will provide. And the second... Take double on day six, so you don't have to work on day seven. Right? What do you reckon? News shock. Probably not surprising anyone. They failed both. Right? People tried to gather up their manor and quail riches. Right? And they tried to grab some on the seventh day. Both times unsuccessful. Look at up in verse 20, right? Check this, right? They kept part of it till morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. That's it. They completely ignored God's commands for them. And, that, and that's where our second scene ends, right? Israel questioned and doubted God, yet he still provided for them in miraculous ways. But they didn't listen and failed his test. But God did show that he sees things through, didn't he? Right? He didn't make a covenant with Abraham. He didn't save them out of Egypt, split the sea, just to then let them die in the desert, right? God provides and he never abandons his people. Let's see how they fare in the, third and fi- in the third and final scene, right? Once again, they're thirsty and need water. Surely they've learned their lesson there, right? So they carried on their journey, God leading them out of, out of the desert to a place called Rephidim, right? But there was no water there. So what did they do? Grumble again, asking for water. 
this time make a bit of an accusation, a test against God, right? They say, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Saying, God, you've abandoned us to die in the desert. Just after God proved that that's not what he's doing, he's provided the whole time. Right. Most people here will know, actually everyone now, had an interview. Most people will know that I lead youth group here, right? It's called Regenerate. And everyone knows when you're given a talk at youth group, the talk itself doesn't count unless you bring up one of the youth kids for a demonstration. You guys are a bit old for youth group, but I thought we'll make it work anyway. So I'm actually going to need a volunteer. It, it can't be a youth group kid because that's too... All right, Alec, beauty, come up. Right on. Welcome Alec up. Alec, my friend, pop up here. Once Alec, now Moses. Sit tight. Your staff, my friend, original. And this is a rock. I don't know if I can, no, that's fine. Right, so what happens? They complain and moan, right? What does God say? He says, this is you, this is me for you, Alec, right? I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. All right, I haven't actually asked permission for this. I'm hoping water doesn't come out. I do have a towel over there if it does. But Alec, I'm going to need you to just give it a whack. Just drive through it. No. Oh, yeah, perfect. Perfect. Uh, Go again. I'm more thinking. Try downwards, I reckon. No dice. Thanks, Alec. Actually, you can take that one as well. <laughs> Obviously, water wasn't coming out, right? We all knew that, right? Because usually when you hit a rock with a stick of timber, a little, a little staff, water doesn't flow out, right? And I, I say usually, I say normally, because in our passage, Moses did exactly that, and it worked. Now, you're holding the Bible, you've, you've sort of got the spoilers, so you, you knew it was going to work, right? But at what point do we start asking the question of Israel, right? Shouldn't they have known as well? I mean, when do we stop giving them excuses and saying, oh, well, you know, they were pretty thirsty and they've had a pretty tough wicket, right? I mean, God made a clear promise to Abraham. They saw the ten plagues happen. They were there. They ran through the split sea. And they were on singing his praises, right? He's provided for them time and time again. Yet they never seem to remember these things. Guys, as, as we finish these, these three scenes, right, we can start to see Israel sort of ask the same question, a bit of a consistent question throughout, right? They're sort of saying, God, what have you done for me lately? Right? I mean, yeah, you, you saved us out of Egypt and you did some awesome plagues, given us food and water, but what have you done for us lately? God always provided. He never abandoned them. And he was always going to see it through, but they asked that, what have you done for me lately? Now, we can often shake our heads at Israel, and I think this passage gives us pretty good reason to, but we do want to be careful, right? I mean, they're not the only ones on a journey. Sort of need to ask, how do we act on our journey? Do we ever find ourselves asking, God, what have you done for me lately? See, as we look at our passage in Exodus, we sort of get this small 
small window into the salvation story, right? Which is just sort of God's, God's plan for saving his people. And it's, it's not a coincidence, right? It's not a coincidence we can see ourselves in that. It's actually intentional. In fact, I think Jesus points back to it and shows us that, right? Here, dive in with me, right? So, see, Israel was saved out of slavery in Egypt under the oppression of Pharaoh, which, which was pretty grim. We saw that a few weeks ago. And that does sound bad, but we were actually saved out of something far worse, right? Our slavery to sin, our rejection of God. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, oh, Dan, going on about sin, right? You know, that's like lying, swearing, and cheating, and all those sorts of things. Sure, those are, those are sort of symptoms of sin, but, but sin's actually, it's actually a heart problem, right? It's, it's a relational issue. We reject God, right? We say to Him, you might have created me, but I don't want to follow you, right? I'm rejecting you and want to live as if I'm God. That's what sin is. And the price of sin, that's death. Not just dying and then rotting in a grave, but actually spending eternity facing God's wrath and judgment. But God didn't leave, leave us as that our only option, right? That wasn't our only option. See, he brought Israel out of slavery in the Passover, right? Looked at it four weeks ago, right? Where God told his people to use the blood of a sacrificed lamb as a substitute of their own blood, their own life. See, he, he gave us his son, Jesus, right, as our substitute. Our sacrificed lamb on the cross, he took our sin, pulled us out of slavery. There was nothing we did. It was all on the cross. So we can keep looking now. How, how similar is this journey, right? I mean, our second passage we had read out, Jesus points back to this story tonight. He kind of says, oh, bread in the wilderness, that's great, but I'm the bread of life. In me, you do not hunger. You don't thirst. It's permanent. It's better. He's, he's kind of saying he's the better manner, right? We're, we see this in the second passage, right? So it was from the book of John, which is just an account of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. So John chapter 6, flick over to it, open it up. I'll give you a sec. Right, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 with a handful of loaves and a couple of small fish. Naturally, they're all amazed, but it's not actually the best bit, right? The disciples later on ask him, they ask him about this. Down at verse 31, they start connecting the dots. They're thinking, oh, bread, mountainside, mountainside, lots of people to feed. They go, hang on. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus tells them that it it wasn't Moses who gave them bread from heaven, right? But actually God who gives true bread from heaven, bread that gives life. And then all the disciples were like, always give us this bread, right? What does Jesus respond? Do you see there? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Remember the story I told you from the farm, right? I was on this farm, and sort of after a few hours of going, Dan, you cannot drink the coolant water, right? You can't drink the septic water. Right, I, was, I was having some serious, serious head noise. Right? And then I look to the side and I see this old Kenworth T90 road train, right? this big old truck barreling down this dirt road. My savior, how good. Right? This truck, he comes out, me big bottle of water in his hand, all full, and I take that first swig. And you know when you feel it go down your body? You, had that? you feel it? Oh, 
right? Take a big swig and I felt instantly better. It was so good. But the thing is, the next day, I needed water again, right? And that was nearly two years ago now, right? And this morning, I needed water. Tonight, I'll need water. And tomorrow morning, I'll probably need water. Right? Because it's, it's just water. See, Jesus is offering something different, right? Something permanent. See, God brought Israel out of slavery and then gave them bread and water and eventually took them to the promised land. And Jesus says, that's awesome, but except you guys have been saved out of slavery of your sin. And I didn't just give you normal, normal bread, right? What I gave you is life, right? Those who turn to Jesus, they never go hungry. They never go thirsty. It's a picture of what that new life is, right? Jesus is telling us that what he offers is eternal, right? It lasts forever. Our promised land is an eternal promised land. You see, Jesus kind of, he's saying, turn to him. In Jesus, we get life, the bread of life. We get all we need in him. He points back and says, God didn't take, God didn't bring Israel out of slavery and then not provide for them. He always sees things through. How much more is he going to do that? See, the thing is, though, Israel had severe short-term memory loss, right? They forgot and skipped over all the good things God gave them. Right? They also skipped over the terrible things they faced in Egypt. And they just wanted their old life back. They were constantly asking, God, what have you done for us recently? Right? And they were failing to remember all that he had done for them. Is that us? Right? Where we know we're on a similar journey. Right? How are we acting? And as we ask ourselves that, as we ask ourselves, what is my journey looking like? There are three different questions, Right? What is this definitely telling me? What is this possibly telling me? Sorry, what is this probably telling me? And what is this possibly telling me? Right, that's, those are the questions we've got to ask. Right, so let's think through, right? First one, what does this definitely mean? Well, it definitely means that if God has called us out of slavery, then he is with me, right? If God's called me out of slavery, then he is with me. The evidence is not just that he saved Israel and defeated their enemies and provided for them. Right? But first and foremost, that he made a promise to Abraham, that Abraham's offspring will be his people. He will provide for them and he will bring them to the promised land. And then we have that same promise, right? I mean, through Jesus, I know I'm saved. I won't be abandoned. And I'm going to make it to that eternal promised land. How reassuring is that, right? We look at the cross and we're left thinking, if God promises that and then sends his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, there's no way he won't see things through, no matter how tough the journey is. On the screen, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Look at it with me there. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, that's what we definitely know. God sees things through to the end. He doesn't abandon his people. And now, that brings us to our probably, right? It's probably worth asking ourselves, how is my memory? And, and that's sort of our challenge, isn't it? Right? How often do we forget what God has done for us? How often do we forget the promises to us and what Jesus did on the cross? Right? Is our memory so bad that we ask, God, what have you done for me recently? I know you saved me, 
I know you provide for me with the, with the very bread of life. I know you promised me an eternal land, but hey, what have you done for me recently? Is that, is that us? Is that you? See, do we look around at our friends who are chasing money and status at work, or do we look on social media and compare ourselves to the, our friends who are out drinking with their mates or traveling the world with their partners, doing whatever they want? Right? Do we remember a life before we became a Christian and look back thinking, God, why can't I live like that? See, that's what Israel were doing on their journey, complaining that God wasn't providing and their life back in slavery was better. And their memory was terrible because God so clearly never abandoned them. Probably worth asking ourselves, do I have a ter- terrible memory? Right? See, if we're sitting there saying, God, what have you done for me lately? We probably need to ask, what am I forgetting? What am I ignoring? Because God does provide for us. He doesn't abandon us. Our life in slavery wasn't better, and he always sees things through. Now, we're going to finish on what this possibly means. Now, this won't be everyone. It might be some of us, though. It'll definitely be some of us, right? Possibly really struggling right now. The pressure of life is stacking up, and you're struggling to cope. Maybe it's it's a family member who's sick or just passed away. Right, maybe struggles with mental health are getting to a point where you just feel like you can't keep going. Right, maybe you look around at life and you can't seem to find your purpose or any value. Guys, possibly we need a reminder of who God is. See, in our passage, we, we, quickly, we see so quickly how forgetful Israel is, right? Even in the face of that, though, God always gave them what they needed. And he, and he certainly didn't give them an easy journey. And we know we're not going to get an easy journey. We are loved by the same God who never once abandoned his people and never once failed to provide. We have that same promise. On the screen is Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 26. I'll read it out. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you, eat, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Possibly we need to be reminded of how much God loves us, right? that we can always turn and bring anything to Him. We just need to remember who He is and what He's done. Now, the final question, right? Maybe you're sitting here and you realize that, yeah, you've never come to Jesus. You might be here for the first time. Maybe it's the 500th time you've been here. But tonight, Jesus invites you to come to him, right? Verse 35, we read out earlier. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Friends, possibly tonight is the night that you realize you need to come to Jesus, right? And you receive that bread of life, the freedom from slavery, right? Knowing it's not anything we do, it can't be anything we do, but instead all Jesus on the cross, paying the price for sin so we can be in relationship with him. Guys, come to him and believe in him. Receive that free gift of life, the bread of life, that eternal promised land. At the start, we asked, will God abandon his people? Or will he provide everything they need and see things through? 
I reckon God is a God who has a plan, and that plan involves His people saving them and providing for them. And that's where we end. Asking ourselves, what does my journey look like? Do I see that God doesn't abandon me? That He always provides for me? As we walk our journey tonight, this week, for the rest of our life, right? remember He always sees things through. So we can keep trusting and turning to Him and have our life centered on Him. Let's pray. Father, you are so powerful. You're so just, but you're also so loving, Lord. Thank you that you don't abandon us and you always see things through. Pray that you remind us of this constantly. And pray that all of us can be putting our trust in you, Lord. Amen.